We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 19 of Luke's gospel this evening, chapter 19 and the first 10 verses. And uh, we looked at a transformed life this morning when we looked at Naaman, and we're going to look at another transformed life this evening as we look at Zacchaeus. Uh, Luke chapter 19 and the first 10 verses. If you've got your Bibles, that'd be helpful. If, if not, then it's going to be on the screen behind me. And this is what God's word says. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, that's the the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. We looked at the transforming work of the gospel in the life of Naaman this morning. And tonight I want us to turn to the New Testament and to see this incident in the gospel of Luke. If you're taking notes or you're curious as to where we're heading, then we're going to be looking at this story in five parts. And this is similar to this morning. It's a a story about transformation. And again, this is someone who had no idea what they had in store for them when they woke up that day. Their lives would never quite be the same again. And that may be true of you this evening. And my prayer is that we'll be encouraged and challenged by what happened to Zacchaeus. But ultimately, this isn't his story. It's all about Jesus and who he is and the consequences for everyone he meets with. So let's start with part one. Part one, Zacchaeus seeks. Now imagine a close friend of yours has met a celebrity and it's someone that everyone has heard about, everyone knows, they've seen you know, maybe on the, on the telly or they've read about them in a magazine. And you can imagine one of the first questions you'd ask that friend is, what were they like? What were they like? And Jesus was creating this sort of buzz in first century Judea. And Zacchaeus had this curiosity about Jesus. What is he really like? 
He had heard rumors and stories about the miracles he had performed, the sermons that he had told and the meals that he had shared with the outcasts of society. But what was Jesus like in real life? And then one day, maybe Zacchaeus was, uh, was sitting there in his, in his tax booth and he was counting the money that he had made that day. And he overhears a conversation maybe about Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe a stonemason was, was talking to uh, someone on, on a market stall. And you can imagine Zacchaeus listening into this conversation. Yeah, his, his name's Jesus. He was a carpenter, but now he goes from, from place to place. And did you hear about the blind man he healed last week? I know it. It must be some sort of con for money. Or, and, and Zacchaeus, is, his mind is whirring. Who is this Jesus? Now, Zacchaeus wasn't popular. We spoke about Naaman this morning, and he was popular. He was a, a celebrity of those days. He was a, a popular figure for his military prowess. There, there were probably teenagers with, with posters of him on, on, on their wall. If they did that in those days, probably not. Um, he was friends with the king. He was a, a proud patriot who had fought for his country. But Zacchaeus was, was the other end of the spectrum. He was despised. When he walked down the streets, people would say things about him, and they would likely call him names, and maybe he was spat upon. He was a disgrace, not because of his height. Maybe he was mocked for that, but that wasn't the reason why people hated him. There's only three people in the Bible that are mentioned. Uh, their heights are mentioned, and that's Saul, who was tall, Goliath, who was very, very tall, and Zacchaeus, who we're told was a very little man, and a very little man was he. But his height wasn't the problem. Encouragement there for you short people. Um, Zacchaeus was disliked because he was a traitor. He was a turncoat. He was someone whose allegiance to his nation and his fellow people was so flimsy that he could be bought at a price. He was willing to do the work of a tax collector on behalf of the occupying power, the Romans. And uh, throughout the empire, there was a system of, of tolls and of duties that were, was collected at different booths and at the city gates. And uh, the way it worked was through a system called tax farming. Sounds boring, but this is going to get interesting, I, I promise you. Uh, the way it worked is that wealthy people, like Zacchaeus, I'm sure you had to be wealthy to begin with, they would bid against each other. And the Romans would say, uh, who wants to collect the taxes for this area? Who wants to collect the taxes for Jericho? Now, the different people would bid to say, I will, I'll pay this much for that privilege. And the highest bidder would become the tax farmer. And they would, that would be the amount that was accepted by Rome. And that meant Rome got its taxes in advance. So Zacchaeus would have paid this much money to say, I can collect all the taxes for this area. And then whatever Zacchaeus would have collected the rest of the year was his to keep. He would make his living, his salary from all the tax. So he could essentially choose what he charged for the people. He charged as much as he could possibly get away with. And the, the bigger the margin was, 
the, the happier he would be. The Romans had already been paid, so they were happy. So if you were ruthless and you were clever enough, like Zacchaeus was, then you can make a real healthy profit from tax collection. So perhaps understandably, they were disliked. They were seen as extortioners. They were seen as unjust. They were considered religiously unclean. Their houses and any houses they entered were considered a place of sinners. The, The Jewish people hated tax collectors. They were put in the same category as prostitutes and gamblers. They were seen as as thieves and they were shunned by by respectable people. And the passage tells us that Zacchaeus was one of these chief tax collectors. He was one of these tax farmers of the Roman Empire. He had people working under him and was making huge profits at the expense of his fellow countrymen. He may well have had a, a huge mansion and a holiday home on the, on the Sea of Galilee, and the latest pair of sandals. Um, but despite his riches, he clearly wasn't happy or content with what he had. You're looking down in your Bibles. How, how can we tell that Zacchaeus wasn't content with his lot? Well, because happy and content men don't open themselves up to ridicule and shame like Zacchaeus does here. People who are happy and who are chuffed with where they are in life don't climb trees. Zacchaeus may have had deep pockets, but his heart was empty. He was searching for something more in life. And he was what you would call a, a most unlikely convert. If you were to list some unlikely converts today, they might include uh, the foul-mouthed bully in school who gives you a hard time for going to church or the the violent gang member who served time in prison or the atheist philosophy professor who belittles all your arguments and writes papers on on how God cannot be true or, or the athlete who seems to worship his own body. If you were to draw up a list in these days of the people most unlikely to put their trust in the living God, then Zacchaeus's name would surely be near the top of this list. But remember, there's no such list when it comes to Jesus. He has no limitations. There's no one that Jesus sees as as too far gone. Someone who has run out of chances, who has done too much. You see, Jesus forgives the unforgivable. He loves the unlovable. And the things which are impossible for men are possible with God. Uh, Let me draw your attention to a conversation Jesus has with another rich man in the previous chapter. It says this, now a certain ruler asked him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I've kept since my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. 
how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So I think Luke has purposefully put these two stories next to each other. What will happen when another rich man encounters Jesus? And that's where we meet Zacchaeus, full of curiosity about Jesus, running ahead, climbing into a tree, hoping that the the big leaves of of a sycamore tree can hide him from the people who he may well have cheated that very week. And like we've said before, it isn't rare to see children climbing trees. But if you see an adult climbing trees, you begin to ask questions, don't you? And it shows the desperation that this man had to find out more about Jesus. Uh, So part two now, we're on part two. Jesus finds, part two, Jesus finds. Whenever there's repetition in the Bible, it's because the writers want you to notice something. And uh, there there are things that they want you to notice. And look at verses three and four for some repetition, for some uh, common themes here. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. Zacchaeus thought he was looking for Jesus, but it was Jesus looking for him. And at the end of the part we read in verse 10, Jesus tells us the very reason he came into the world. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is why he came through Jericho. It wasn't just for the convenience or for the scenery. It was in order that he could have this conversation with this man. Nothing was accidental with Jesus. He came into the world to find people like Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had tried to satisfy his desires with money. But despite his riches, he felt lost. But Jesus came to save the lost. And so maybe to Zacchaeus' horror, Jesus stops right underneath this very tree that Zacchaeus has climbed into. Look at verse 5 in your Bibles. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And notice here that Jesus calls him by name. How does Jesus know his name? Is it because he is God? Well, often in the scriptures, when Jesus knows something because of his godly nature. It says something like, Jesus, knowing all things. But we don't see that in the text. So maybe it's something more to do with the fact that there were people shouting at Zacchaeus, laughing at him. The hatred that was spewing out of the crowd towards this strange man in a tree. Can you imagine the crowd would have had an absolute field day if the person that you hated The person that you despise more than anyone else was caught climbing in a tree. It would be 
such a unique and bizarre position to be caught in. Regardless of how Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name, it speaks of his warmth, the personal touch. He addresses him, reminding us that Jesus is the good shepherd who knows his sheep by name, which leads us to part three. Jesus invites. Jesus invites. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down. But today I'm coming to your house. What would be your response if someone said, with, with no notice at all, I'm coming to your house? I was speaking to someone uh, quite recently. Uh, they're from, from Europe somewhere. I won't give them away. But they said one of the things that they miss about uh, Europe is the fact that people invite themselves over to your house. And, and uh, in Britain, we're far more guarded about letting people into our homes. Well, um, as, as, uh, as foreign as this might sound to us, I'm sure Zacchaeus too would have panicked. What kind of state did I leave the living room in? Is there any food in the cupboard that I can give to him? What have I left lying around? Uh, we don't know what it would have been like. Was there evidence of his, of his wealth and his godlessness? Uh, plain to see, did he have wine goblets on the floor? I don't know. Did he have statues of Roman gods on the floor? I don't know. Uh, but we do know is that Jesus intervened and stepped into Zacchaeus's life where he was. And he does the same thing for us as believers today. He doesn't wait for us to tidy up our lives before he comes in. He intervenes where we are. He doesn't say, I'm giving you a week. You better sort yourself out before I come. He says, I'm coming today. It's always on his term and not us. It's always Jesus who invites himself into our lives. We are not partners in salvation. It's not us inviting him. He is the one that moves towards us. And it's amazing, isn't it? Jesus doesn't preach an amazing sermon here or perform an, an incredible miracle, it is by his invitation that Zacchaeus comes to faith. How is that possible? How is that possible? Well, as I said earlier on, Zacchaeus, his house would have been considered unclean. It was the house of a swindler. It was off limits to anyone respectable, especially a rabbi, a teacher like Jesus was. But Jesus was willing to meet him where he was in their uncleanness, in their shame, in the disgusting uh, world that Zacchaeus was living in, when everyone else was, was drawing uh, far from him, when he, they were turning up their noses at who he was, when everyone else was looking down upon him, Jesus says, I'll eat with you. I'll be your guest. And Zacchaeus is filled with joy that Jesus has accepted him. Jesus and joy are never far away from each other. Jesus brings joy, not fear or dread, because that would be our initial reaction, wouldn't it? If someone said, I'm coming to your house. But when Jesus says he's coming to your house, it's joy. He doesn't fill people with, with guilt and shame. He fills sinners with comfort, knowing that he is willing to forgive. He makes outsiders feel like insiders. He makes public enemies feel like friends. Part four, Zacchaeus welcomes. Now, Zacchaeus' response is, is one of someone whose life has been split in two. 
before he met Jesus and after he met Jesus. And he can't believe the patience and the kindness that Jesus has shown him. But despite this joy, despite the excitement that Zacchaeus has right now, people aren't impressed. The onlookers aren't impressed. Look at verse 7. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Well, they've stated the obvious there, haven't they? Zacchaeus was a sinner. But that is exactly who Jesus wants to meet with. As he had said to them before, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. They needed to realize that if Jesus had chosen to eat with them, he would have been dining with sinners. They didn't see their need for a savior. And yet Zacchaeus did. The religious leaders are like the older brother. Remember we looked at the, the prodigal son? Um, or the two lost sons uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, the, the uh, Pharisees and the teachers of the law used the law for their own means. They used it in order to make themselves look better. They thought that they had the right to say who and who couldn't approach God for forgiveness. But see what Jesus does. We don't know what the conversation was at the dinner table. But what we do know, like Naaman this morning, was that there was an instantaneous change in his life. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. The Holy Spirit was at work in the life of Zacchaeus. There is an immediate change to his priorities. And unlike the, the rich young ruler, which I, I read from the last chapter, whose, whose head dropped and his heart sank when Jesus said to him, about, uh, challenged him about his wealth, Zacchaeus goes above and beyond. He gives generously. And not, uh, not only does he give back what he owes, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, uh, thieves and extortioners were told that if they were caught, they were to give back double. But such is the change that Jesus made in Zacchaeus' life that his desire is to give back four times the amount. We hear this and we, we maybe don't think about the consequences for this for, for Zacchaeus. There would have been immediate changes. He may have had to move into a smaller house or get rid of his clothes or shop at a different market in order to make this adjustment. They would have been felt immediately. He doesn't say, I'll, I'll keep living like this for a little while. I'll, I'll phase out some of these things. Or I'll, I'll wait until I die, and then I'll give all my inheritance to, to the poor. No, he sets out to restore as soon as he possibly can. And that's what the transforming power of Jesus does. It's a challenge for us to see the work of grace in this man's life. Are there people that we have wronged? Are there people in our lives that we've lied to? Are there debts that we owe? Are there grudges that we hold? Are there apologies that we've kept for ourselves? We must not put off doing these things. Uh, we must do these things in a, in a gracious, Christ-centered way as, as soon as we can. 
whether these restitutions come immediately when we come to faith, like it did with Zacchaeus, or whether we've been putting it off and we do it today. It doesn't matter. We must act today. That is the command. We mustn't delay any longer. If we've delayed, then we mustn't delay anymore. It's not just a case of saying that we will not sin in the future, but as Zacchaeus does here, of restoring those uh, that we've, we've denied or upset or take advantage of. When Jesus saves us, it's not only that we are forgiven and that we're seen as righteous in the eyes of God, but we are changed. The Holy Spirit begins a work in our lives. And as uh, Jesus says in, in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, you will know a believer by their fruit. When you walk past an apple tree, you can tell it's an apple tree because it has apples on it. And when you walk past a cherry tree, it's got cherries on it. When you see a Christian's life, they begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these things that Jesus displayed marvelously in his life. This ought to be the things that come out of the life of the Christian. That's what we should begin to see in our lives. And we see these things begin to work in the life of Zacchaeus. Part five, Jesus proclaims. Like I said at the start, this is Jesus' story, isn't it? It's, we know it as Zacchaeus' story, but it's Jesus' story, isn't it? And this is uh, why it ends with, with Jesus' words. He says of what has happened, uh, today salvation has come to this house. Not salvation has been earned today, or salvation has been understood today, or salvation has been won today. Salvation has come. Because as we said before, it's Jesus who is responsible, isn't it? He is the one who has earned it. He is the one whose perfect record and painful death will save Zacchaeus. He is the one who has entered into Zacchaeus's life and changed it forever. And notice this direct jab at the religious leaders who are watching on. What does he call this reject? He calls him a son of Abraham. Abraham was, was the big daddy of the, of the Jewish people. He was the, the founding father and the man who God had called out of Ur and had made promises to and this angry mob had been uh, shouting and, and chastising Jesus for for thinking that they he could go to this man's house and Jesus says this man is the son of Abraham these tax collectors prided themselves uh, these Pharisees prided themselves on the fact that they were sons of Abraham but Jesus reclaims that title for its true purpose here. Yes, Zacchaeus was already a Jew. He was already technically a son of Abraham. But it's through faith that that is fully realized. Once again, Jesus is, is drawing a, a sharp distinction between faith and being religious. Between being saved by the blood of Abraham and being saved by the blood of Christ. That is what true faith is. That is what makes a son of Abraham. So where are you sat this evening? Are you sat in a tree this evening? 
You may have come to church wanting to know a bit more about Jesus, but wanting to, to hide your face behind the big leaves of a, of a metaphorical tree. So that anything that was said tonight didn't refer to you. Anything that happened here this evening was, was referring to the person next to you or the person behind you. Jesus is calling you out and wants to come to your home. Stop looking uh, for uh, the things of this world to bring the comfort and the joy and the satisfaction that they cannot bring. Come to Christ who uh, comes to find the lost. Maybe you're already saved and you might have been a Christian for many, many years. And maybe you look at Zacchaeus and you think, that's a bit drastic. I don't remember having to do something like that when I became a Christian. And maybe it's a challenge for you this evening. Are you clinging on to things uh, from your previous life? Are you doing things in the strength of your old life? Well, uh, are there restitutions? Are there debts you need to pay? Are there uh, sorries that you need to give? Are there uh, uh, grudges that you still hold today? Well, even if it feels impossible, which it is in your own strength, the Lord Jesus will give you the strength you need to live for him in paying back those that you have wronged. As I close, this is a story about a tree, isn't it? A tree that Zacchaeus climbed into in order to see Jesus and Jesus saw him, but it was on the way uh, where Jesus was, was going to a, another tree, wasn't it? A tree where he would uh, lie there, would, would, would stand there naked and ashamed and would bear all the sins of Zacchaeus and of every person who has put their faith in him. That is the tree that uh, we come and we celebrate that Jesus died upon so that we might know him and might be saved by him and that he rose again three days later that he might uh, show that he has conquered the grave that sin and death has no hold on him anymore. So put your trust in him tonight and show uh, in your life that uh, the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ working in your life this evening. Let's pray.